0: So we end our series this morning. We ended it last Sunday evening with our study, The Attributes of God, by A.W. Pink. And so this is where the Lord led me this week. Our last chapter in that book was called The Contemplation of God. Sadly, um, I'm not sure it's something that many professed Christians actually do, it's one reason we studied the book, to help maybe jumpstart or help you or come alongside you to help you consider the perfections of God. I want to begin this morning by reading a, uh, a bit of a prologue from a children's book. It's a book that Karen and I gave to our grandchildren for Christmas. It's, it's entitled God With Us by Jeremy Pierre. It was published in 2020. The reason I'm starting with this is I want you to listen carefully to what, what's being said here. The reason I'm starting with this is because I believe it frames everything I'm about to share with you. Okay, And I, I can take no responsibility what happens this morning. I'm preaching some of my favorite texts. I don't know. I may explode. I don't know. There may be a spontaneous combustion going on. I'm not sure what will happen, so I can't be held accountable. But I do want to read this to you. I want to read this, this prologue. We're hearing from two angels. These are two angels. We have, they say, the incredible joy of being near God. Now, I guess I could stop there. This is supposed to be your fuel, right? This is our fuel. Good day, bad day. This is our fuel. We will soon be near God. As my good brother said to me one time, in a few moments, we will be with him. The angels continue. We get to see him for ourselves, and be so filled with wonder and find ourselves singing. We can't help it. Spontaneous singing, right? Do do you have that echo in your heart? That this this is probably what's going to happen? Spontaneous singing? When you see the glory of Christ, do you kind of have that in your head? They continue. Even if we were allowed to describe this joy to you, your language would not hold up. I love that. You know, it's beyond words, right? It, 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 it's the echo of the deepest part of the soul of man to see his creator, not only his creator, but his redeemer. He's not simply our creator. He's our redeemer. He's both things. It's astonishing. The angels continue. But don't worry. Your story just might be headed toward the same joy, a journey to be near God. And of course, this is what Christianity is right? It's a journey to God. But we have to warn you, this journey is not safe, but it is always wonderful. It is always wonderful. I have to use the word again. I know I've shared it with you a couple of times. I know it's a weird word, but you know, they can't help but seeing their gobs smacked, right? Their gobs smacked. Now, I've shared this word with you. this will be the third time. You know what it means, right? It's an Eng- charming English word that means I am utterly astonished and amazed at who God is. They are God's gob gob smacked. They are gob smacked. I love that the angels say your language can't bear the weight of the glory of God. Listen, beloved, this needs to be echoing in your heart. If you don't understand, if you don't understand, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'd like for you to come talk to me. You have to, this needs to be echoing in your heart. This echo of infinite exuberance, we know it's coming. We know it's started. You know, the sacred romance has begun. And the angels allude to the fact that there's an offer on the table that we can be near God too. We can be near God. We'll get to see Him too. And reflective spontaneous singing will happen as we look at the glory of Yahweh. You know, they, they tell us that it's not safe. I, you know, they're, they're stealing this, the author's stealing this from C.S. Lewis. You remember the, the great lion and the lion and the witch in the wardrobe. Susan finds out that Aslan's a lion and she, she says, is he quite safe? And you remember Mr. Beaver's reply, safe? Who said anything about safe but he's good? It's not always safe in this life, in this world, this fallen world who hates Christ, it's not always safe to walk with him. You might lose your family. You might lose your job. You might lose everything. But it's always wonderful. (laughs) It's always wonderful. He's always taking us to a beautiful place. I had to look up the word wonder. Let me just share it with you. It's a feeling of surprise caused by something. Here it is. Caused by something beautiful, unfamiliar, and inexplicable. I love that last one. He is, as Karen teaches your children, incomprehensible. That's a great word to teach a small child. Our God is incomprehensible. Synonyms for the word wonder, awe, fascination, astonishment, amazement, gobsmacked. Gobsmacked. This is why Christians can radically obey God. (laughs) This is what this is why we can do. We can do all he says because he will do all he says. We are in awe. I, I shared with you last week. It's the Revelation 4, 8 dilemma. The guys who are full of eyes all around and within and all they do is look at God. And the more they look at God, they just want to look at God some more. Again, If you don't have this echoing in your heart, you call yourself a Christian, then you've got work to do. You've not really spent much time looking at him. That's what we were trying to do the last 10, 12, whatever weeks it was. And you know those guys in Revelation 4, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And my paraphrase is, there's no one like you, there's no one like you, there's no one like you. They're talking about a lot of things when they say holy, but one thing they're talking about is his otherness. This is echoing in your heart too, right? As a true believer, there's nobody like him. (laughs) Nobody fills me up like him. Nobody excites me like him. I'll go to the end of the earth for him. So if we paid attention in this sermon series and also in the study of the attributes, we have joined the chorus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Pink quotes Zophar's words to Job. I just want to share them with you, Job eleven seven 7, and 9. Zophar says, can you discover the depths of God? The, 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 the obvious answer is no. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? The obvious answer is no. They, he's talking about God's depths and limits. They are high as the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. He's incomprehensible. And that should thrill your soul. I shared with the, the group I, I heard John Piper preach or, or preaching one time, and he, he said, you know, he, he was crippled by fear at a, as a young man. He, 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 suddenly he was crippled by fear because he was afraid that, he was afraid that heaven would be boring. <laughs> this is before he matured as a believer, and he could, in, in earnest, join that course, right? That that chorus of there's nobody like you, there's nobody like you, there's nobody like you. Right? I thought that was a very telling, a very very telling confession. Pink says this, AW Pink, God has given us a true report of Himself, but not a full one. Why has God not given us a full report? He can't. You your head will blow up. It will take all eternity for you to have a full report, which means you will never have the full report. There'll always be more of God. This is what we were trying to help engender in the body as we, as we look at his perfections and his attributes. And to, to, and to develop this anticipation in our own souls and hearts and minds. That God really is that beautiful. That He fills my soul forever. He really is that beautiful and that satisfying. So, it's not a full report. That means two things. The contemplation of Yahweh will be our all-consuming temporal temporal vocation, and it will be our all-consuming eternal vocation. You know, now we look at God here. We just look at Him. We look at God here, and we're astonished. We're gobsmacked. And forever we'll be looking at Him and serving Him in the new heaven and new earth, and we'll be gobsmacked. It never ceases. It never ceases. I love what King David says, Psalm 34, 5. God's people looked at Him and were, anybody know, radiant. If you don't have radiance in your soul at times... Hey, we're fallen and sinful. It's not there all the time. But you know what to do if it's not there, right? Go look at him. There's supposed to be radiance. There should be radiance. If your your faith is boring, you have not met him. You have not met him. Now, you, you may be a church member, you may have done an ordinance, but you do not know him, you have not met him. If, if you find him uninteresting, you know, David goes on in Psalm 16, 8, he says, I have, listen, this is it, this is it. This is what we've been trying to engender uh, in the body the last s- several weeks, however long it's been, last quarter, David says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. He says, I just look at God. I'm looking at God. I'm always setting God before me. You know, when the problem comes, I'm looking at God. I'm not consumed with the problem. I'm looking through the problem and I'm looking at my my Creator and my Redeemer. I'm just looking at God. That's how I live, that's my fuel. And he says, because God's my fuel, I will not be shaken. You can't shake David. You can't shake him. David looks at God continually. He's free to obey whatever God tells him to do. He looks at God continually. So he he trusts in God no matter what the day brings. He looks at God continually. So he can't be blown over. By any circumstance, he looks at God continually and God has become his supreme treasure and greatest treasure. David reminds me of (laughs) that great thing George Mueller said. He said his first duty every day was to be happy in God. Are you happy in God? It's on you if you're not. He says, here I am. You can have as much of me as you want. If you're not happy in God, that's on you. And I will say this. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not happy in God, it's just blasphemy. So if you're not happy in God, don't tell anybody you're a Christian. They can see it on your face. They, They can see it in your countenance. Don't blaspheme God by saying I'm a Christian and not being happy in God. Hey, I'm not saying, hey, we do weep. We mourn. We have lots of problems we have to deal with. But we can persevere, right? And find the happiness in God that we need. This is why real Christians practice the contemplation of God. Not because we ought to. Not because we ought to. But because we want to. We want to look at Him. We want to be changed. We want to get a good glimpse of God. Because I... Hey, if I get a good glimpse of God, I can walk on that for a long time, right? I think I'm still walking on the glimpse I got, like, I don't know, 25 years ago. I read some good theology, and nothing's changed since then as far as, you know, I can't get over how great He is. I can't. I can't. You guys know Psalm 63, 1 through 3. Oh, God, You are my God. I hope you can... Say amen to this. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you uh, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But you're my water, right? Thus I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. This is why perfectly sane people can wholeheartedly say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is why sane people can talk like that. They've caught a glimpse. They've caught a glimpse of Yahweh. So this morning, I want to illustrate how the looking at God, or we could say the contemplation of God, begins. And how, well, let's say it this way, and how it inevitably fleshes out in the life. We'll just say it like that. Of course, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We know how it begins. It's always John 3, 3. You must be born again the wind must be blowing god must do what only god can do the rot in god wind must ble- be blowing or we will have no appetite for god as i thought about this my mind went immediately to luke 7 you can turn there with me if you like luke chapter 7 luke chapter 7 you guys know the story this is a sinner Verse thirty-six. Now she's a prostitute, just like you and I, right? We're spiritual prostitutes. We have committed spiritual adultery. Um, Luke seven thirty-six. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to, to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. I love this text. I love this text. I preached it a number of times number of times. Every born-again person in here understands every bit of this. If you had access to him, if I had access to him, yeah, I'd be at his feet. I'd be weeping at his feet. I know what I deserve, but I ain't gonna get it. Because of him This is what it looks like to truly worship the Lord. We have been saved by the unfathomable, unexpected, may I say, and radical grace of God. Now, this woman is a professional sinner. It's her vocation, she gets paid to do it. She was created by God for holy intimacy, but she has engaged in unholy intimacy. Her body was given to her to glorify her Creator but she has sold it to men for money. Verse 37, did you notice the word? Behold, something shocking is happening here. This is shocking, <laughs> right? This is shocking. This, sinning, this, this prostitute has entered into the house of a Pharisee. Why did she come? Did she want to hear the Pharisee expound on the Scriptures? No. Her Savior was there. Her Messiah was there. And you couldn't hold her back. You couldn't hold her back. And she brought the, probably the, the, the most costly thing she owned. And she, you, you couldn't stop her. She was going to love her God. She was going to adore Him and worship Him. No one could have stopped her. She could not be dissuaded. It's clear in the text that she's not coming for salvation. She has already been saved. Uh, you get that clearly from verses 41 to 42. I won't go into it. There's a little parable there. And you also get it from the verb tenses throughout the text. She had come to worship. She cannot not worship. It's why we're here, right? It's why we come on Sunday morning. We want to worship God. We want to worship God with God's people under the, under the preached word. We want to bring Him an offering, Right? We want to sing His praises. We want to cry out to Him in prayer. We're gobsmacked. I know you can get tired of that. (laughs) You You probably already are. If you're not gobsmacked, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with your professed Christianity. If you're not gobsmacked... And she's weeping. The text sort of Ill, sort of connotes the fact that she's raining tears down on, on his feet. And she's kissing his feet again and again. And he's, she's kissing them tenderly, even fervently, as one commentator said. Everybody in the room is uncomfortable, but oh, guess what? Her and guess who else? Jesus. You know, have you ever done anything that <laughs> makes everybody in the room uncomfortable? <laughs> Have you ever lived your life in such a way that everybody in your orbit's uncomfortable? And they're always telling you how uncomfortable they are? She doesn't care, neither does Christ, right? And this perfume, obviously, cheap perfume doesn't come in alabaster vials. So we can learn from her, I think, how a forgiven sinner really worships. It's unencumbered, it's unapologetic. We really can't hold it back. We have to worship Jesus Christ. We have to worship Jesus Christ. Now this woman, she knows, she, she knows who she is. She's an outcast, she's untouchable, she's unlovable. She should be stoned. She's never had any real joy in a long time. No true tenderness. She doesn't know what true intimacy is like. No man would ever love her. No man would ever want her. She would never have a groom. But oh yes, she will. She will. The God-man will be her groom. This is what you and I need to understand. Right? This is what you and I need to understand. You should not, as those angels were talking about, you should not be in the presence of God. You should not spend eternity, you know, in, uh, in, in the presence of God, near God. That's not what you deserve. You deserve the exact opposite. You deserve to be in hell forever. Really, Forever. This is why Christians worship like this. Her groom is the God-man. <laughs> he came for her and he died for her. And though her sins were many, you may remember over in verse 47, you know, Jesus is talking to the Pharisee here and he says, Hey, her sins are many, which are many uh, have been forgiven her. And of course, the Pharisees flip out. They're always flipping out. Her sins, which are many, they are many. Just like yours. You know, we did the math, right? Didn't I tell you a couple weeks ago? I did. At 67 and a half years, at very conservative parameters, I've sinned 382,000 times. You do the math on you. Has God been patient? Has God been gracious? Has God been merciful? Has God been long-suffering with you? That's what she knows. That's why she's there. She was a prostitute, but now she's holy. I just love this. I love this text. She was a prostitute, but now she's, as Paul talks about, a pure virgin bride of Christ, 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 2. So no real Christian, you know, contemplates that the excellencies of Christ out of duty, we do it out of pure delight and joy we have been found by our supreme treasure and our greatest pleasure salvation is the beginning she's been saved and that's the beginning of the endless contemplation of our glorious God right and immediately my mind went to Luke 10 so you can turn with me to Luke 10 it's famous text you're going to know it Luke 10, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, Jesus is traveling uh, with His his, uh, disciples, and He enters a certain village. He's in Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, and moreover, was listening to the Lord's words, seated at His feet. But Martha was (laughs) distraught. Okay, God's here! God's here! This makes me crazy. God's here! And she's distracted. I'll finish reading the text. She's distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. This is the way distracted people talk. <laughs> she says... And the text says, But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen? I love that text. Sitting at the feet of Christ. This is what real Christians do. With the word open... In a spirit of prayer, speak to me, Lord. This is how we live. This is our fuel. She's sitting at his feet. Martha's worried and she's bothered. How many Christians do you meet her? They're worried and bothered about everything. And they can't let go of it. You know, they won't let go of it. I love this. She had chosen the good part. And Jesus said, it will never be taken from her. You know, the thing of looking at God and being satisfied and being in awe and being filled with wonder and being filled with delight and being filled with anticipation of what he's going to do tomorrow. You know, if if you can call, uh, if there is such a thing as a tomorrow in eternity. You know, we have that foretaste of eternity. We have this aroma, as my seminary professor used to say, we smell like God. Do you smell like God? Do you? Does everybody know you belong to him? Do you smell like God in the world, beloved? Jesus said, I'm not taking it from her. (laughs) Don't you love that? (laughs) Omnipotent God says, no, she's one of mine. I'm not going to take it from her. And so we know that where sitting at the feet of Jesus takes Mary, right? We know where it takes her. Turn with me over to Mark 14, if you would. Mark 14, another one of my favorite texts. Mark 14, verse 3. You know the story, famous story. Again, we're talking about Martha Mary. Um, This is Mary of Bethany. Pick up here at verse 3, Mark 14. And while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Some were indignant. There are always these people, right? People, there are always people who want to be indignant. Oh, you believe all the word of God? We're indignant. We don't accept that. We won't hear that. You guys know what I'm talking about. Reclining at the table there, she came with an alabaster vial, very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial, she poured it over his head, but some were indignant, sorry, verse 5, for this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. And I love this, (laughs) look who comes to the rescue, but Jesus said, leave her alone, right? Leave her alone, why do you bother her? She's done a good deed to me. I think one of the translations says she's done a beautiful deed to me. Have you done a beautiful deed lately? You call yourself a Christian? Have you done a beautiful deed lately? Have you done anything that Jesus would say, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful deed that that they've done unto me, that Jim's done unto me? I love that. He says, the poor you always have, but you do not always have me. Verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body before the burial. And I love verse 9. I I just love verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall never be forgotten. This is how God feels about true worship. He never forgets. He never forgets when His people really love Him. In an unapologetic way, right? I love this text. A couple things about her worship, which this, this again, for us, in our, in our context, Jesus is not walking around right now. But He's right here. So, in our context, you know, we're looking at Him in the Word. And she worships Him. A couple things about it. It was unrestrained, right? She broke the vial, verse 3. She held nothing back. She broke it. She lavished it wholeheartedly. Upon him, John writes, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, it's just the aroma of a true believer loving her creator and her redeemer. It's beautiful, beautiful aroma. Also, her worship was extravagant. Verse 3, it was costly. Verse 5, 300 denarii, a, a, a year's wages for a common laborer. So let's just bring it into our context. What would we say? Fifteen bucks an hour? I have no idea. I think that's about right. So she just laid out 30 grand. It's 30 grand. And so, I, and w- you know, when I read this text, I can't help but ask myself, have I, have I worshipped like that? You know, and it's not about the amount of money. It's about the self-forgetting aspect of it. You know, she's not calculating about the 30 grand. She's just ho- she's, she's so in love. It doesn't matter if it's 50 grand or 100 grand. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to her. The disciples are indignant. They didn't get it, but she got it. She had sat at the feet of Jesus. She got it. She was used to considering. And contemplating his perfections. Her Messiah was sitting in the room with her, and budgeting and calculating and economizing was not on her mind. So, what do you think? Was Mary imprudent with 30 grand? I looked it up. Imprudence is defined as extravagant, wasteful, excessive, overgenerous. My contention is you can never be imprudent in the extravagant worship of Jesus. So I looked up the word prudence. It's to use discretion, foresight, judgment, care, and frugality. I would contend that to worship Jesus like this is the consummate act of prudence. It's transcendent prudence, right? Transcendent prudence. We need to learn how to worship the Lord like this. The other thing we see there in verse 7 and 8, her worship was now. It was now. She sees the day. You know, she, she, she sees the day because he tells them, he said, You're, you don't always have me. She sees the moment. She seized it. You know, C.S. Lewis says, you know, now is the only, now is the only time, it's the only time that in- intersects eternity. Now. Now is the only time that Intersects with eternity. She worshiped now. And her worship was eternal. Um, wherever, Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world. That also which this woman has done shall be spoken in memory of her. Isn't that beautiful? God never forgets. Every full-hearted act of worship that you offer up to him, he never forgets it. And he loves it, right? He came to her defense. He loved it. He loved it. Hey, this is where contemplation will take you, okay? Hey, if you don't want to pour 30 grand out on on the Lord Jesus in some way, you know, then, then, then don't look at God. Don't get near God, because you're liable to do something crazy like that. If you're getting a good look at him, because looking at Christ, it changes the whole equation. The whole equation, all the calculus is turned on its head. Right? It's not about you anymore. And it's not about your savings account anymore. It's about God. It's about how great God is. That's what it's about. So, what do you think? Was it a waste? Or was it the best use of? $30,000. You think Mary, I often think about this. Do you think Mary ever wished she'd she'd not done that? Do you ever think she regretted doing that? And I always like to think about it this way, too. What do you think she's thinking right now? Right now, she's looking at him. What do you think she's thinking about, you know, that time she poured out 30 grand. What do you think she's thinking about it right now? I know what she's thinking. She says, I wish that I had more. Wish that I had more. Listen, you guys know this. We're in on the best thing in the cosmos, right? As the angels say, we get to be near God. We get to know God. It's breathtaking, really. It's breathtaking. This is what the contemplation or the considering of God's perfection, this is where it takes us. This is why we look at God in this church. This is why we have studies called the attributes of God, right? We understand what those angels are talking about. Singing happens; it just it it happens. And I'm going to close with one of my favorite texts. So we can turn over to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Okay, and my Bible's so marked up in this text, I have to, I'm going to have to read it to you from, uh, from a printed out version. <laughs> I can't read this. Too many notes. Too many notes. So, context. What's the context? Verse 30, chapter 32. The people had sinned greatly against God. After judgment and repentance in the camp, Moses begins to pray. Interestingly, Moses has one principal objective, and I want you to listen for it. You'll hear it. So let's pick up here, Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses, now therefore, I pray you, this is Moses, now therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, he's asking for God, <laughs> if you ask for God, do you ask for God, so that I may find favor in your sight, consider too that this nation is your people, And God said, My presence shall go up with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence doesn't go up with us, do not lead us up. It's like Moses says, If you're not going, I ain't going. (laughs) If you're not going to come, I'm not coming. I'm not interested in the promised land without you. Not interested in it. Not interested in anything apart from you. If you're not in it, if you're not with me. I am not interested. Now, Moses, you guys know this. Moses had seen more of God than any man who'd ever walked the planet. And there's, maybe Adam and Eve saw some things that Moses didn't see. But Moses saw some things Adam and Eve didn't see when they were still in the garden. So I want you to understand this. He had seen and experienced more of God than anyone else ever. He's called the friend of God. Earlier in chapter 33 of, Mo, of, of Exodus, he talked face to face, in a sense. So he conversed with God in the burning bush. He saw the omnipotent power of God as he crushed Egypt. He passed through the Red Sea. He ate the manna. He drank the water from the rock. He received the Ten Commandments from the hand of God. He saw firsthand the grace and wrath of God in the Jewish camp. Nobody knows as much about God as any, uh, 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 than Moses. Nobody knows as much about God as Moses. But here's what Moses knows. He hasn't seen anything yet. You heard Joe read the text, right? Moses has seen all this stuff. And what's he praying about? You know, he's praying about, let me know your ways that I may know you. And we're going to go down here. You heard Joe read the text. Let's just pick up here, verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Moses has seen more than any of us have ever seen, and he knows he hasn't seen anything yet. You're supposed to know this. And this is supposed to drive you to the grave. I haven't seen anything yet. It's going to drive you through eternity. I haven't seen anything yet. And on the far side of eternity, you'll have to confess, I haven't seen anything yet. That's how beautiful he is, beloved. We we have these small notions and these unworthy thoughts of God. You know, if you're going to think unworthy thoughts... I think you're just digging your own grave. You're supposed to know this, Christian, and you're supposed to love this. You're supposed to have an anticipation that this is what eternity will be like, pursuing the glory of God. Never apprehending it fully, but always pursuing it. You can't get there. You're finite. And he is infinite, The born-again soul understands this. This is why we know we will never be bored in heaven. The finite never stops pursuing and contemplating and considering the infinite. This is the addictive truth that every Christian understands. There's always more. The sacred romance never cools. It never cools It gets me pretty jazzed. Let's finish up here. Verses 19 to 23. You guys know the story. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the, the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to, uh, to whom I will be gracious. So here's Romans 9. God, you know, he says, he says God, uh, Moses says, show me your glory. Bam, Romans 9. Don't you touch Romans 9. Don't you touch it. Don't you touch the glory of God. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion to whom I will show show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for you can't see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me in the rock. And I'll pass by. I'll put you in the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, I'll take my hand away. And you can see my back. But my face shall not be seen. So what does your verse 24 say? Joe knows my gag on this. What does verse 24 say? I think Harry was there that night too. What's 24 say? Why is there not a verse 24? Why? Why is is there not a verse 24? He can't write it. It's what those angels said at the very beginning of the sermon. Your language cannot hold the weight of glory. Why doesn't Moses write about it? He can't write about it. The language of men and angels do not suffice. So let me close like this. You guys know 1 Peter 3.18. You don't need to turn there. For Christ also died for sins once for all in order that He might bring us to God. He brings His people to God. It's what we've seen illustrated in the Scriptures this morning. The root and fruit of growing up in our contemplation of Yahweh, begins. it begins with what God is doing, and then we go with Him, right? He brings us to God, and we are never the same. Jesus brought the prostitute to God. We saw it on the pages of Scripture, right? The inexpressible love, the thankfulness, the worship. (laughs) This always leads... Again, if it's really happened, if the wind's really blown through your life, if this has really happened, this leads to what we see in the life of Mary of Bethany and what we see in the life of Moses. You will be sitting at his feet. If the wind has really blown, you will be sitting at his feet. And then you'll do crazy stuff like Mary. Yeah, I just, I just love this this Mary Bethany thing. It's like <laughs> her love for him was so pure and absolute, and he loved it. Don't you want you don't Don't you want don't you want your, your daily life? Don't you want God to love your daily life? Can we, we just, and we all yeah we're sinners. We struggle with all this, right? But don't don't you want the the thrust and the, and the movement and the direction of your life to be pleasing to the Lord, that he would indeed love it. And again, Jesus said, I'm never going to forget this. We see this in Moses. Moses reveals that this journey to and with God never ends. He hadn't seen anything. <laughs> you, you think you'd have been satisfied with what Moses had seen? Do you think you'd be praying this prayer? Would you be satisfied? With seeing all that Moses had seen, of course you're not—you wouldn't be satisfied. We're dealing with the first and the last. So, I have a re- recommendation to you. I know—I know I'm always recommending books, but if you love theology, you need to read this book. If you love to contemplate God, you need to read this book. If you like to consider the glory of God, you need to read this book. It's God's passion for His glory. It's John Piper distilling Jonathan Edwards. So the first half of the book is Piper trying to explain to you what Edwards is saying. (laughs) The second half of the book is actually Edwards. Okay, You need to read this book. This is the book I give to you know in in, uh, in Italy when I would have a young man come through who was interested in seminary or interested in pursuing ministry in any way. This is the book I give him. Because if you don't understand this, right? if you don't understand God's passion for His glory, you can't be a minister. You can pretend, but you can't can't be one. So yes, the end for which God created the world, that's the, the title of Edwards' thesis. The end for which God created the world. It's what we've been saying throughout the series. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God and the joy of the elect. Now, I'm going to close with just a Brief excerpt from uh, the book. I want you to listen closely, please. This is Edwards, Jonathan Edwards. Since God is infinite, the creature cannot fathom the totality of his greatness or comprehend his infinite beauty or delight in all that he is. Rather, it will take an eternity for us to know and enjoy all that God is. That is, God will be progressively revealed to us. Thus... Since the display of God's glory in our finite creaturely experience of knowing and delighting in God is the aim of creation, the achievement of this aim will take all eternity. There will never be a time when there is not more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Why do we study the attributes of God? Because we know that's true. We know we're in kindergarten. We know this is a primer. We know we're just getting started because it'll take forever. This journey to, in, and with God never ends. We haven't seen anything yet. So throughout the whole series, I've been challenging you to reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. Edwards is right. To our ever-increasing eternal delight, we will never stop reckoning with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. It will be our eternal vocation as we consider the greatness of Yahweh for a billion eternities. On the far side of eternity, we will have have not seen anything yet. I hope I plant this in your soul if you didn't come in here with it. On the far side of eternity, we will still be praying Moses' prayer. Lord, show me. I pray that you are an aggressive, aggressive pursuer of Christ. I pray that you are looking at His perfections. I pray that you are allowing Him to change you from glory to to glory. As you look at Him and delight in Him, knowing He's your inheritance. It's just a few moments. And you know, That's one thing I love about being 68 years old. I love it. I'm not far away now. (laughs) Very soon. Very soon. Let's pray together.